I'm aware that sometimes the stories that get told in sermons seem a little bit inflated, right? A little hard to believe. So I'm going to predicate this story by telling you that as far as I know, it's 100% true. Uh, and it was reported in an, a copy of the Reader's Digest in 1949, okay? So January 10th, 1948, a guy named Marcel Sternberger was taking a train uh, in Brooklyn. He wasn't on his normal train because he'd stopped to visit a sick friend that day, so took a different train to work than he usually did. As he got on that train, he saw that every seat was full, um, but then um, just before um, it was time to leave, somebody jumped out of their seat and ran off the train. So he you know, was happy about his good fortune and sat down on this seat that had been vacated and the train pulled out. As it drove down, um, Sternberger noticed that the man sitting right next to him was reading a newspaper in Hungarian. And Sternberger himself was from Hungary. He thought this was an incredible coincidence. And so, though he didn't normally speak to strangers, strangers on the train, he said in Hungarian, do you mind if I read your newspaper with you? The man was pleased and astonished to be addressed in his native language, and uh, they started a conversation. Pretty quickly, he found out uh, this man's story. Uh, the, the guy's name was Paskin, and he discovered that Paskin had grown up in a small town in Hungary, and when the Germans came through, he had been placed in a labor brigade and sent to Ukraine. Eventually, he was captured by the Russians and then forced to do burials for German corpses for a time. Eventually, he got free from them, and he walked by foot hundreds of miles to make it back to his little village in Hungary, a place called uh, Debrecen. When he finally made it back home, he started looking for his family, and, and he couldn't find anyone. He went to the house where he and his wife lived, and it was empty. He went to the house where his parents lived, and other people were living in it. Finally, he found some friends, and he said, where's my family? And they shared with him the heartbreaking news that his family had been taken to Auschwitz by the Nazis and were all, um, that all, all died there. So um, Paskin fled Hungary. It was a graveyard for him, and, and he came to America. And as he was telling this story, Sternberger, who's sitting next to him, um, started thinking, boy, there's something familiar about the tale I'm being told. And so um, he said, uh, is it? By any chance, is it possible that, that um, your first name is Bella? And Paskin looked kind of astonished, and he said, yeah, how did you know that? Sternberger said, I, I know this is going to sound crazy, but was your wife's first name Maria? And he said, as sort of color drained from his face, yeah, that's my wife's name. How do you know that? Sternberger said, uh, please, please come with me. Uh, so they they uh, got off the train and went to a payphone. Unbeknownst to Paskin, Sternberger had met someone just uh, weeks earlier with such an incredible story, uh, also from his country of Hungary, that he had written down uh, this person's name and phone number. So he makes this phone call, uh, and uh, while he's on the phone, he turns to Paskin. He says, um, Bella, did, did you and your wife live at such and such an address back in um, Hungary. And he says, oh my gosh, yes, that's my address. What's going on? And Sternberger says, here, take the phone, talk to your wife. Um, and, and his wife had somehow escaped from Auschwitz and 
also thinking her whole family had died, um, found her way to the United States, to Brooklyn, uh, and the same place where Sternberger happened to meet Bella Paskin. Uh, He talks later about the experience of the husband and wife coming together for the first time and the overwhelming joy. Um, But you can imagine what an experience that was like for all three of them, right? The the experience of of God in the details. Uh, And uh, the editor of the Reader's Digest article who, who reported this story ended by saying this, quote, skeptical persons will no doubt attribute the events of that memorable afternoon to mere chance. But was it chance that made Sternberger suddenly decide to visit a sick friend and hence take a subway line he had never been on before? Was it chance that caused the man sitting by the door of the car to rush out just as Sternberger needed to sit down? Was it chance that caused him to, to be sitting beside Paskin reading a Hungarian newspaper? Was it chance... Or did God ride the Brooklyn subway that afternoon? I heard that story and it just struck me that it had so many parallels with the story of Saul. Uh, Saul's story uh, begins and it seems like just the series of weird coincidences, weird chances that end up being the overwhelming experience of the love and the grace of his God. So Saul is just looking for some donkeys, right? Um, I've never looked for donkeys, but I've had my dog get out of the house before, right? I got to tell you, not once when my dog has escaped have I thought, I'm going to encounter God today, right? Um, He's just looking for his donkeys, and he runs into this guy, Samuel, and he hears all these extraordinary things. Um, You're going to be king. I'm going to anoint you king. You're going to have all these weird signs, right? The purpose of those signs is so that when Saul encounters the great promise of God, I'm going to make you king. And then these little promises about all this weird stuff that's going to happen, right? You're going to meet this guy who's going to give you bread. Then he believes the big promise because the small promises come true. So all these weird little things happen for him and some really big things happen. And I got to think that for Saul, um, all this comes together to be one of the greatest spiritual highs of his life. Uh, This moment where it just overwhelmingly he feels the presence and the grace of his God. And we get some language like that, right, about the prophetic frenzy in the new heart. Which makes the story all the more strange. Because did you notice how it ended? It ends with Saul um, expecting he might become king and choosing to hide with the luggage while they're drawing lots. I mean, they are quite literally sort of gambling to see who's going to be the next king. And Saul's been told by Samuel what's going to come. And instead of being ready and willing when his name is called, he is hiding so effectively, they have to ask God to help them find him. Right? Isn't that weird? How do you go from that incredible high of this is a God moment or a whole bunch of God moments to that weird low of I am hiding um, while I'm called to be king. I I think this actually is an experience that's pretty common for most of us, though in a smaller form. And and I call these spirit swings, spirit swings. Um, And I think that in our lives, we sometimes swing up with God, right? We have these incredible moments of joy and and, and this sort of encounter with God. They can be really, really big or they can be kind of normal. Sometimes it's a life-changing event. Sometimes it's, a, you know, a great time with my friends and my family in worship, 
And then we swing the other way, right? We swing away from God and sort of to ourselves. Now, by the way, this isn't just us. This is the whole story of Scripture. In the Old Testament, remember the Israelites uh, escaped from Pharaoh. There's the ten plagues and the parting of the Red Sea and the pillar of cloud. And they hear the voice of God on Mount Sinai speak to them, the Ten Commandments. And then 40 days later, they're worshiping a golden calf. Or even more dramatic, remember that moment where Peter is with Jesus, and he's not called Peter yet, he's called Simon still. And Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Simon says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I say that you are no longer Simon, but Peter, Petros, the rock. And on this Petros, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And Peter's thinking, this is the best day of my life. And then Jesus says, and the way I'm going to save everyone is I'm going to die for their sins. And Peter says, don't do that. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And he goes from being the rock the church is going to be built on to Satan in a matter of moments. I wonder if you've had this experience, right, of the spirit swings, um, of, of the incredible highs with God and then the letdown afterwards. Uh, and if you have in the big or the small areas of your life, um, I think this is an important question for us. Uh, I want to ask really two questions. What does God do in the upswing? And what do we do in the downswing? So what does God do in the upswing? Uh, first of all, when we're talking about these upswings, these moments, we're not just talking about, hey, I had a good day. Right? We're not talking about, hey, I have some nice material blessings. We're talking about an encounter with God, a, a deep sense of connection with God, and especially in our text, with God's presence and His purpose. And, and that's what happens for Saul twice. Really interesting, right? First, um, he gets this connection with God's presence, right? So we're told um, that God gives him a new heart. We'll talk more about that in a minute, but this is the first time in Scripture we get language like that. God gave him a new heart. And then we're told um, that he is in a prophetic frenzy when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. Think like the apostles at Pentecost, right? Speaking in other languages. And, and both of these are this sense of, of the presence of God that comes close to him, like he's never felt it before. Then he gets a sense of God's purpose for his life. First, um, Samuel anoints him as really as uh, king-elect, right, as the prince, and says this is what's going to happen. And then, through a coincidence of a lottery system, he ends up being called by the people to be the full king. And I think these ideas of God um, giving us His presence and His purpose are really critical for us. I believe that God wants to connect with us. God wants to give us that upswing moment where we feel His grace and His presence in a unique and special way. The whole story of Scripture is about God trying to get back to us, right? To bring His presence into our lives and give us a purpose that has eternal significance. Uh, and so I believe God wants to connect with us. Um, but there are a couple things we do uh, to, to make that more possible. Um, the first is... We, we have to recognize we can't earn it. You can't make this happen. You can't force a connection with God, right? It comes as grace. Nothing that Saul does to earn this at all. And the second thing is, it seems to help 
to get out of the ordinary a little bit. Saul is wandering the countryside looking for donkeys when he has these encounters. I don't know what it's been like for you, but in my life, the most dramatic encounters with God have almost always been when I've been out of the ordinary. I had uh, an incredible experience with God on a mountain in North Carolina in Montreat when I was in high school. And I had a great encounter with God in a concrete walled courtyard of a little church in Nuevo Laredo, Mexico when I was in college. Uh, I had these incredible experiences of God's presence when we were on a rooftop in Haiti and when I was on a boat on the Sea of Galilee with so many of you. And, and often it seems like, boy, when I disrupt my ordinary life to make some space for God, um, I'm more open to that upswing of the Spirit. So I want to ask you today, um, if you've had an experience like that, and um, they, they, they're probably not like Saul's, right? God comes to every one of us differently, and none of us are called to be king of Israel. Uh, but have you had an experience of the upswing of the Spirit where you felt some closeness to God or some sense of connection with Him? Um, and if not, I want to encourage you to just talk to God about that. God, I would really like to feel that connection to you. God, I'd really like to have that experience of your presence and your purpose in my life. Because you can't earn it, but it comes as grace. And God, um, I believe, wants to encounter us in those ways. So um, we have these upswing moments with God, sometimes big, sometimes small, sometimes on a mountain somewhere, sometimes in worship on a Sunday morning. And maybe in an incredible hymn written by our pastor about the three kings of Israel. I don't know. Um, and then we have this downswing. And I want to talk about this for a minute. Why is there a downswing? There's a wonderful book called The Five Love Languages. Uh, I'm, I'm crazy about this book. If you've not read it, I, I highly recommend you to do so. And it talks about how we give and receive love. One of the foundational ideas in this book at the very beginning is the distinction between being in love and love. And the author says that in love is that sort of head over heels experience that we have when we can't get enough of somebody, right? I know that when we first started dating, my wife was in love with me because she joyfully watched Star Wars with me and she um, opted to read The Lord of the Rings, like on her own to know me better, right? And I thought, wow, I have, I mean, this is the jackpot, baby, right? Uh, there was a point, um, in every relationship there's a point, where the in love thing goes away, right? Uh, I don't know which Star Wars movie it was, but at some point, uh, that died, right? Uh, and, and here's why that matters, because it's at that point when the head over heels thing goes away, that you have the opportunity to express real love. Because real love comes when it takes some effort. Real love comes when I have to make myself a little bit less to make you a little bit more. When I go to see um, a, a movie or a play or do something with you and it's not what I want to do, and it's not that I'm head over heels with you, but I go and I'm pleasant about it because I love you, right? That's love. Love is expressed to us most beautifully on the cross, where Jesus, um, I do not believe, felt an overwhelming in love sensation about me, but he loved me because he stayed. 
So I believe that everybody's experience with God goes through, I hope, some of this upswing, right? The in love experience where we are head over heels with Him. And then there's the downswing. Then there's the point where we just have the chance to really love Him. And that's where it always gets hard. Uh, Saul's not going to be a great example for us in this um, because Saul, um, I think, struggles with the love phase of his relationship with God. And, and maybe this sounds familiar, right? Uh, maybe you, and like me, like Saul, sometimes say, boy, I know all the stuff God has done for me, but I just find myself running away from Him and not to Him on a regular basis. Boy, I don't know how many times God has helped me back up off the ground, but I find myself falling down again and again because, um, boy, I just, I just can't seem to refocus on Him when I get on my feet again. Saul has everything going for him, right? I mean, he has been anointed. He's received prophetic signs. He's been seized by the Spirit of God. He's been given a new heart. He's been chosen by this lottery. And when God calls him, He's not there. Outwardly, he looks perfect for the job. Inwardly, he has a persistent reluctance that ultimately becomes reprehensible. Saul is tall, but not a great king. So I believe um, there are some things we are called to do on the downswing, ways that we connect um, that Saul really can't model for us. Uh, And One of those, I think, shows up in the story in the uh, 17th chapter of the Gospel of Luke where these 10 lepers encountered Jesus. Uh, And and I think it's a wonderful example of what we're called to do when we're not just in love with God but choosing to love God. You see, they have this upswing of the Spirit, right? They have this mountaintop moment where they meet Jesus and He says, go and show yourselves to the priests and as they go, they're made clean. You notice something interesting about this story? He doesn't make them clean in the moment, right? He sends them on their way, and as they're going away, the miracle happens. Because I think Jesus wants to see what they're going to do. They have this upswing moment, and then it's on them. How will you respond? And nine out of ten, just keep going. One guy, not even a Jewish guy, a Samaritan guy comes back, and gives thanks to Christ. And you notice what Jesus says, um, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. It's a really weird comment. He's already healed. The reason he's there is because he's already been healed, right? His faith is not healing him from leprosy. His faith is making him right with God, right? It's so much deeper than that, right? Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you whole. Your faith has restored the relationship with God that He designed for you because when you experienced God's love, you responded with gratitude. And it's about our gratitude and our response that equips us for the downswing, that equips us for the challenging seasons when we're not um, necessarily feeling the presence of God in our lives. One of my uh, heroes is Mother Teresa, and um, I've shared with you before that in Um, After her death, some of her private memoirs were released in a book called Come Be My Light. Uh, And I just, I come back to this often because it's such an intense uh, description of what the downswing of the Spirit can sometimes look like. Uh, Mother Teresa had months uh, when she was younger, months of these 
overwhelming upswing of the Spirit experiences where she felt the presence and the love of grace of God. And then that went away pretty much for the rest of her life. And she wrote this later in life. She said, when I try to raise my thoughts to heaven, there is such convicting emptiness that those very thoughts return like sharp knives and hurt my very soul. Love, the Word, it brings nothing. I am told God loves me, and yet the reality of darkness and coldness and emptiness is so great that nothing touches my soul. Before the work started, there was so much union, love, faith, trust, prayer, sacrifice. Did I make the mistake in surrendering blindly to the call of the sacred heart? The work is not a doubt because I am convinced it is, not, it is His, not mine. Mother Teresa has this incredible downswing, right? Maybe those who are privileged with the great encounters with God, like Mother Teresa, like Saul may have, perhaps, uh, a similarly challenging downswing on the other side. Um, but unlike Saul, who runs from God, Mother Teresa spends the rest of her life running after God. Uh, her life is one of gratitude and response. And that's what makes her extraordinary. It's what makes um, a disciple, right, out of us. It's not that we are always in love with God, but that we always choose to love God even um, when we don't feel it, right? Even when it doesn't come easy, even when we're frightened that our may, name might not be called on the roll, um, we still choose to place God first. And I believe that when our gratitude and our response connects with God's presence and purpose, then extraordinary things can happen. So I don't know um, what God will do today. Uh, God may choose to show up in extraordinary ways for you today or this week or this month or this year. He may infuse you with His Spirit. He may miraculously give you a unique purpose. He may change your heart. But I know there will be a season in your life where it is more challenging to connect with Him. And in that season, I hope that you commit to gratitude and to response and to chasing after the God who has chased after you. So you find yourself not standing amongst the luggage, but near the throne of grace. May it be so. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat>